Father in heaven, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we have all come here, Lord, to hear your word. We have all come here to join with the Holy Spirit in fellowship, to be strengthened and equipped by your word, your precious word, Lord. Father in heaven, may we make, may we redeem this time. Lord, we spend so much time away from the house of the Lord, so much time in the house of the world, Lord, that while we're here, Lord, may we focus. May we leave our distractions and our burdens for your yoke is light. Give you our burdens this morning, Lord. May we just focus on your word. May the Holy Spirit speak mightily, Father, through me, Lord, but may my words be few or none and your words be many. Father in heaven, may we glorify you this morning in the studying of the word. It is a precious word. It's life-saving. It's alive. It jumps off the pages. You are the only God who comes and dwells inside the physical body of his worshipers, Lord. There is no one like you, no, not one. There's nowhere we can go, Lord, but only to your feet, for your word gives life and more abundantly. So today as we study, Lord, may we be focused, may the Holy Spirit speak to us, and may we always with reverence study your word. In Lord Jesus Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. amen. So uh, really quick recap uh, coming out of... so. Joshua was supposed to be uh, teaching this morning. Dave is away in Hawaii um, at a conference where he's speaking. Joshua was going to fill in on the pulpit. Obviously, he taught on Thursday, and he was going to teach today. So I got a text from Joshua about 3.30. He let me know yesterday afternoon he wasn't feeling too good, and he said, hey, just be ready, right? Guys, we should always be ready when that call comes to serve the Lord, amen? Here I am, Lord, send me, right? Because you never know when God's going to ask us to do something. So I look at it as I got the text from Josh saying, hey, you ready to go, right? But I look at it as God giving me an opportunity. Doug, are you ready to go? And I say, Lord, yes, I am. Send me. Amen. So this was a message that I was preparing for the youth group. I'll be teaching the youth next Friday night. And we just finished chapter four. Now we're in chapter five of Acts. Um, But um, again, the word does not go out void. And I said, hey, look, I've been in this book now for a couple days. Let's just go ahead and teach Acts five. Amen. You guys good with that? Amen. Amen, Right. It's God's word. Amen. So a quick recap. Uh, we're, in sec- we're in the section of persecution and the growth of the church. That's what chapters 4 through 7 is of Acts. We're coming out of chapter 4. Peter and John, uh, basically this is after the day of Pentecost when 3,000 got saved. So the church is fairly new. It's growing. It's a young church, right? And their leaders are figuring it out as well. But they're figuring it out not on their own and their own physical abilities and their intellectual abilities. They're figuring it out with the power of what? The Holy Spirit, right? Like I said in my prayer, God comes and dwells inside of us. Remember, there's that power, amen, for the Holy Spirit to lead. So Peter and John heal a man in chapter 4, and he was a man who was born lame. He couldn't walk, and he gets up and he walks. Now what happens is the Pharisees and the Sadducees, also known as the Sanhedrin, right, They don't like this at all because he's actually healing them in the name of Jesus the Christ. And Jesus has been crucified. So they don't want, and they're the ones who crucified Jesus. So they want nothing, they don't want to hear the name of Jesus. And they definitely don't want to see miracles happening in the name of the man that they crucified. Amen. And you could see that being very reasonable like, hey, we don't want this happening right now because it was going to be what? It was going to be a challenge in opposition to the power that they had over the people. Okay. But the miracles that were happening in the apostolic, we call them miracles that were happening with the apostles in the early church, were authenticating that the power they came with in delivering the message of the gospel. And Jesus, uh, who came to earth, dwelt among earth and man as flesh, died, rose again on the third day, sits at the right hand of the Father, and he's returning. Amen? This was authenticating the message of the gospel by them seeing miracles. Amen? And it still does that today. But it was the power of the Holy Spirit that they were continuing in the works of what they've been taught by Jesus Christ, right? And that's a good message for us as a church. Are we continuing in the works of Jesus Christ, right? Are we taking care of the needy? Are we loving people? Are we gentle? Are we kind? Are we patient? Do we give people who may be living a life of sin a lot of grace and lead them to the Lord? Are we professing the name of Jesus Christ in our lives? Everyone in here, if you're a Christian and you're a believer, everyone should know you're a Christian, Everyone should know I'm a believer, amen? And that's what the apostles were doing. They wanted to make sure everyone knew they were believers in Jesus Christ and it was by the power of the Holy Spirit and in Jesus' name and he got all the glory, amen? And that's what the Sadducees and the Pharisees didn't like. And Peter boldly states that the Jews, he tells them now when they're telling him, hey, you can't do that, and they call, the Sanhedrin call him uh, before the council 
And basically, you're going to judge them. Now, think about that, standing before the council, the Sanhedrin, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they're the same people who just killed the Christ and your Savior. Do you think they're going to get a fair trial? No, of course not, right? But Peter boldly states that, hey, you guys are the ones of the same power that healed this man. You killed the man that the power comes through. You missed the Messiah. Drawing attention from the priests, the politicians, and the Sadducees. The Sadducees, by the way, they were aristocrats, okay? They were political, and they were religious leadership. They were actually the majority of the leadership amongst the Sanhedrin. So they had a lot of say on what would happen and how people would be judged. The Jew Jewish council, when I say Sanhedrin, that's what the Jewish council was, okay? The Sadducees arrested Peter and John for teaching through Christ and the resurrection of the dead. They end up in jail, Peter and John, and they're interrogated by these same leaders. They wanted to know, they were asking Peter and John, we want to know whose name have you done these things? And they boldly stated Christ Jesus' name, the man you crucified and the one who was raised from the dead. Boldly, guys, right? So when someone says, oh, what church you go to? I go to Calvary Chapel, Conejo Valley, where we study the word of Jesus Christ verse by verse. You should join us. Amen? Don't be afraid to say Jesus' name. And that's what they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen? So Peter says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone, right? He's saying, hey, you guys were supposed to build the church, Jewish people, you guys were the chosen people, but you rejected your Messiah, you rejected the cornerstone, that everything we believe, the law, the prophets, and everything that came before Christ, he is the foundation of the house of God, amen? And he's saying, you guys rejected it. The very next thing Peter says is in Acts 4.12. He says, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So if there is no other name that a man can be saved on other than Jesus Christ on earth, who should we be proclaiming? Should we just give glory to God? Oh, glory to God. Oh, glory to God, right? You see a lot of athletes do that, right? When the end of a game, they win the Super Bowl, they win the World Series, and they say, oh, I give glory to God. Why not Jesus? Why not say his name? Right? Why? Because they're afraid of persecution. These guys were not afraid of persecution because if you spend intimate time with Jesus Christ and you have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not going to be intimidated by men. And you're not going to be intimidated to say his name in front of people and proclaim him. Amen? The Jewish leaders then threatened them to stop saying Jesus' name. They're like, hey, okay, fine. Because here's the two things that happened. There was a, basically going to be a riot because all the people saw these miracles. And they were attesting, hey, it was authenticating. Hey, this, there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in this man that you guys crucified. And imagine all the crowds starting to follow the apostles. So they're like, hey, there might be a riot. We just should probably release them right? So they let him go the first time. They actually call him in the second time. They're like, hey, we should kill them, right? But Jesus, or but, but, the, but God doesn't let that happen. And the first time, they go right back out and proclaim the name of Jesus. The second time, they go right back out and proclaim the name of Jesus. So they do it twice when they're told not to. Peter and John refuse the command of the, Jewish, of the Sanhedrin. What do we say at the end of our prayers? When we pray, we pray in what? In Jesus' name, amen. And what we're praying is that we want everything to be done in our prayers based upon Jesus' character, his attributes, and within his will, amen? They released them because people were praising God and they didn't want to have a riot on their hands. So they returned to fellowship uh, of the other believers and prayed together, asking God three things. And I love that. They returned to the fellowship. What's the first thing they did? Prayed. Guys, what's the first thing we do here? We pray, amen. See, we're following the example of the apostles in the early church, amen. Look on their heart. Look on, he's, they, they pray three things. They say, God, look on their hearts. So they're saying, look on the hearts. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. They simply left the matter of the justice, their justice, right? They were being treated unfairly. They had committed no crime, but then the, the leadership wanted to kill them. They're saying, no, God, look on their hearts. You take care of the threat, not us. We're not gonna react, Angrily, because the anger of man, what? Doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Then, he said, then they pray, grant to your servants all boldness. Personal safety was not important, but fearlessness in preaching the word was paramount to them, right? They weren't praying, hey, God, keep us safe. The first thing they said is, give us boldness in preaching the word, amen? That's what they prayed for. You think it would be the opposite. They'd be praying for safety. And then they prayed, stretching out your hand, listen to this, to heal more miracles. Early preaching of the gospel was, attest, was attested to and confirmed through God through signs and wonders performed through the name of Jesus Christ. God, the, um, 
of Jesus. God asked to continue, they asked God to continue confirming the ministry of the apostles in this way. So to authenticate what they were doing to perform signs and miracles. So those are the three things they prayed for. Believers are united in heart at this point and in soul. So in mind and soul, they're united in one. The way they think about the world, their ideology was one. And then also how they thought spiritually about the Bible and the teachings of Christ was in unity, amen? And I can say this about this church. I know you guys aren't privy to the elders meetings that we have. Josh, Tim, me, and Dave, we're in unity in everything. We never leave a meeting without being in unity. And we submit to the authority that you know, Dave's been anointed as a senior pastor over this church. I have no problem submitting to that authority. But guys, we're in unity, and I think that's very important in a healthy church. Would you agree? Amen. You don't want division in the church. So they're united. They feel the same way physically and spiritually about following Christ. They shared all they had at this point. This is what we're about to get into. There was no needy among them, who, and those who had land or houses or who had been blessed with wealth um, would sell it and give it to the apostles. But they weren't asked to sell it. They weren't asked to sell it. They just sold it and then gave it to the apostles for those in need. So they weren't being forced to do it. It was their choice. And we'll pick up right here, <clears throat> Acts 4.32. I titled this message, To God the Glory in Jesus' Name. To God the Glory in Jesus' Name. So church, let's go ahead and read Acts 4.32-37. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all, nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were, for all who were possessors of land or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of the things <clears throat> that were sold, and laid them at the feet of the apostles. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas, Barnabas by the apostles, Guys, which is translated, son of encouragement. I love that. A Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. The first thing I want to point out in verse 32, which jumped out to me, the great multitude did what? Gathered, like we're doing right now. They gathered together, right? In Hebrews, do not forsake the gathering of what? yourselves together, amen? That's what we do, even through COVID, even through a pandemic. Guys, we've seen people get saved because this church is open. Many of you, maybe your churches were, were closed and you've come here because we're gathering together. We're following what the Bible tells us to do, amen? So the great multitude gathered. They came and met corporately together. They wanted to be with those who were like-minded, with those who believed in Jesus. Guys, we should want to be with each other, right? We should look forward to Sundays. Guys, you know what? I'm closer to a lot of you. I'm closer to you guys. You're like my family than my own family. You know, here's the reality. My dad's actually sitting here in the front row today. Praise God, amen? He is my family, right? He's my father. I see you guys way more than I see him. He lives in Arizona, right? I'm in your lives. You're in my life, amen? Guys, we should want to be a family. They'll know us by the love we have one for another, all right? Treat people right with righteousness, encouraging one another, right? Iron sharpens iron, amen? I love you guys, love one another. Let alone providing for one another, right? For us in our church in the modern day, sometimes we don't even want to see each other on Sunday, right? Well, I don't want to go to church. I look forward to coming to church, and I hope if that's an issue, pray about it. Pray, say, God, give me a fire for wanting to see God's people and to be in the presence of God, amen? You're going to go closer to God being in the fellowship of God's people, amen? I want to encourage you that. In verse 33, <clears throat> signs of a solid church we see. They spoke of the gospel with great power, and grace was upon their fellowship, Guys, this is not a condemnation station. When people come here, this is a grace place. Amen? Right? We're not a police station trying to figure out who's bad and good. We're a hospital trying to heal sick people. Amen? And the only way to heal them is to send them to who? The great physician and his word. Amen? God's grace and favor was upon them, guys. There was, uh, were, they, were they not, okay, God's grace and favor was upon them. Were they not going through trouble? Were they not going through great tribulation? I mean, they wanted to kill them for just saying the name of Jesus. And they wanted to kill them for doing something that was amazingly Christ-like, that was a beautiful thing, that a man who couldn't walk can now walk. 
If we saw that, would we say, oh, that's evil? No, we'd say, oh, man, that's amazing, right? That you're walking, you're walking, brother, praise God. Christians should preach, guys, and speak of the gospel boldly. But many don't anymore, right? We see that. Many do, but there are many churches who don't even speak boldly of the gospel anymore, right? There's a man, um, a preacher, He's an old preacher, from, uh, born in 1905. He passed away, I believe, in 1994. He had a big influence on my life. His name was Leonard Ravenhill, if any of you have ever heard him. A bold preacher of Christ, okay? Leonard Ravenhill said this, a quote from him. If Jesus spoke and preached the gospel like some of the preachers today, he might not have been crucified, <laughs> right? That's true, right? What do we have nowadays in the church? Well, let's not talk about sin, Let's not talk about hell. Well, don't mention hell. Never mention hell, right? Never mention the judgment of God, right? But as we preach, we preach the whole counsel of God here, right? And the whole counsel is, yes, God is a God of love, but he's also a God of wrath, right? Amen. The whole counsel of God makes a what? A whole Christian. The gospel, guys, is not glamorous. And this was also Leonard Ravenhill kind of said this. He said, the gospel of God is not glamorous. What is it? It's gory, it's bloody, and it's sacrificial, but also... It's, guys, it's full of hope, right? It's full of hope. The apostles were not intimidated by men. And it also, this hope brought redemption, comfort, and peace in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but God has brought me comfort, redemption, comfort, and peace. Amen? Sometimes when I'm in painful situations, you guys ever been to the dentist? I, I hate the dentist. I hate the dentist. And sometimes I pray to Jesus while I'm in the chair, and they're drilling into my tooth, and I can feel that pain because they didn't put enough Novocaine in there. And I just start praying to Jesus you know, to give me peace. And I've always said this, you know, in the trial, I don't need to know why I'm in a tribulation or trial, but what I desire is peace from God through it. Amen? The peace and the comfort of God, guys. Hold on to that and the hope. Bold in your faith. When we, in, when, we, when we are intimate, like I said, with God, we won't be intimidated by men. The apostles were not. Remember that they had, people had come now, this Pentecost, right, where 3,000 got saved. And praise God, Peter was used mightily. The same guy who denied Jesus three, t- uh, three times, right, by the fire is the same guy who used the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit used him to save 3,000 people. You talk about a redemption story, amen? Guys, so if you've done something where you've disappointed the Lord, you'll probably disappoint him again, but remember, God can still use you mightily when you start walking righteously, trust in him, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So, guys, um, a lot of people come from a far distance. They probably didn't return home, so that's what's going on here. So this community where they're helping one another, and they're probably giving people a place to stay in their homes, they're probably feeding them, right? It's coming out of their own pocket, this communal-type living. It's probably because these people came from so far, they didn't return. Because why did they not want to return? They wanted to be where God was, where God was working, where God was doing mighty things. Guys, God does mighty things through his church. We should want to be in church, amen? Amen. I always say this is the place where you can do everything God asks us to do on one day within one hour. He asks us to give. We tithe, right? He asks us to pray. We have the prayer meeting. He asks us to worship him and sing to him and sing him praises. The rocks will outpraise us. And I'm not letting the rocks outpraise us. And what do we do? We worship him, right? He tells us to serve us, him in ministry. And what do we have here? We got youth ministry, hospitality ministry, worship ministry, children's ministry. Amen. All these things. He says iron is supposed to sharpen iron, right? We're not supposed to forsake the fellowship of ourselves together, right? And what we get to do all those things within one hour in one place. Why would you not want to be here? Who in their right mind would not want to be here if they believe in Christ? I know I do. Amen? So guys, this is not Christian communism. Communism takes forcefully and is supposed to distribute everything equally, but we know the the people at the top kind of take a lot and they don't really give to the people and that's why we have poverty. So communism takes forcefully um, and nothing is privately owned, okay? What they had though, these early Christians, God owned it, but he gave it to them to be a steward over it, right? So it was their private property. They could give voluntarily. They didn't have to give everything, and that's what we're going to see in this story, what we're about to get to with Ananias and Sapphira. It was whatever God put on their heart. It's like when we say in the agape, when Jesus came, he said, hey, don't give out of necessity or grudgingly, but give what? As a cheerful giver. Amen? What God has put on your heart. And these things were not given equally, because remember, we just read, they gave to what? As people needed. So that means there were certain people who needed more, and other people needed less. There were certain people who had less, and certain people who were blessed with a lot more. So the people who were blessed with a lot more gave to the needy, right? It's like the prodigal son, when he comes home, and the father says, why are you mad? He just needs more than you do. 
right? And you should be happy that he's home, right? It's the same thing with that. If you've been blessed with a lot and you give to someone who has need. So this wasn't distributed equally. It was given as the people needed. And you know what this is, guys? Christian charity. This is charity at its heart. This is Christian charity is what it is, voluntarily giving out of their hearts. So Barnabas was most likely one of the 70 disciples in the early church and one of the new 3,000 converts. And guys, he's all in. That's what we say a lot of times, me and my business partner, when we don't, we don't believe what the other one's saying. We go, oh, I'm all in, bro, like kind of sarcastically, right? It's like when you play poker and I'm a pastor, I don't gamble, okay? I don't even play poker. But that, I think they say I'm all in, right? When they push the chips or whatever, I'm all in. Barnabas was all in. You could say this man was oversaved, amen? He was on fire for God. Barnabas comes with the heart of wanting to give everything to God. He got, and Barnabas translated, like it said there in the verses, his son of encouragement. This brother would later be used mightily by God. He traveled and did a lot of ministry with Paul in persecution, and many were saved, amen? Barnabas had that heart where I'm all in. I surrender all, Lord. Do with me what you will put himself in tough situations with Paul. In Acts chapter 11, Barnabas was described as a good man. This is actually the verse. A good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Amen. And that's what happens when we surrender all to God. And he's the Lord of all. Amen. So then Barnabas sells all his possessions and does not withhold anything from God or God's people. Barnabas was probably seen at this time. Now picture this, right? He's giving everything he has. He sells his sign. He goes, here it is to the apostles. Distribute to the people in need, and here it is. It's all of it, right? He comes before the Lord with a pure heart. Barnabas was probably seen as a very giving man, and people saw him give. So he probably got adulation, right? Probably got praise, right? We do that when we see people. That's, that's our flesh. We're like, oh, man, look at that guy. He's giving so much. Amen. What a good heart. What a great man. But look at verse 32, Okay? Verse 32, this is where it comes from, guys. This is the heart of Christian charity. This is the heart of others before yourself. They felt, and I'm going to read the New Living Translation, they felt that what they owned was what? Was not their own. So they shared everything they had. You, I've always said this. I, my kids, can, I tell them all the time, everything we have is not ours. God just put me as a steward over it to take care of it, right? Our house, God's. Our car, God's. My wife, God's, my children, God's, it's God's. He just put me as a steward, right, over it to, to lift them up, to encourage them, to raise my children in righteousness. But they're God's, sons and daughters, amen? And we have to come with that mentality. mentality. It's not our own. If we come to the, the mentality that this is all mine, what are we going to give to God? What's God's and what's yours? We're going to tally it up? No, it's all God's, guys. Let's come with that heart. It's all God's stuff. Whatever we possess, we are stewards over it, not owners of it. God gives it to us to distribute for his purpose and his glory. Amen? We, guys, he asked us, right, we tithe 10%, right? So we tithe 10%. Let's just say that was the bar in the Old Testament. Obviously, Jesus said just give with a cheerful heart, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be 10%. But if we give 10%, I think sometimes, and I've thought like this, and I'm guilty of it. Well, the other 90% is mine, has anyone ever thought that? Well, I give to, I'm good now with God. He's satisfied. I got this 90%. Man, that's a good portion. Thank you, Lord. You're very gracious, right? And I'll just do whatever it is. Just all for me, right? The 90%, guys, is still God's. He, see, he's the steward over the 10%. He says, I'm going to take this 10% through the church, and here's what I'm going to do with it. Then the other 90%, he goes, now I'm going to give the 90% to you, church. What are you going to do with it? Let me watch, Right? So sometimes, guys, we should use it to bless others, especially if we've given a lot. And that's what's happening in this church. Some have been given a lot. So they gave their 10%. Now, what are they going to use their 90% for? And I want to encourage you, guys, what do we use our 90% for? And this is for me, too. When I study this, Pastor Dave always says, when you're a pastor and you study this, it's convicting, right? Um, so there's some things I'm like, you know what? That should just be still to glorify God with this portion. So what this means, and look, there's people, look, because we're pastors and we're privy to stuff. We've had youth retreats and different functions and events. There's people who call me and, you know, they're faithful. And I don't, we don't see any of the money that's given as pastors, but I can tell they're going above and beyond. And they're like, hey, God's blessed me here, Doug. I want to sponsor eight kids. I want to do this, whatever it may be. Here, I want to help this family. Amen? So guys, we're just stewards over that 90%. It's not ours. What this means, if someone has a need, God puts it in your heart right? 
after you've given to God what's God's and God puts it in your heart to fulfill that need of that person, that's between you and God. Do it. If you have the means, do it. Help that person. But it doesn't mean that every need in the church needs to be met. If a man won't work, he's what? He shall not eat, it says in the Bible, right? So here, everyone who comes for money, and Pastor Dave tells you all the time as pastors, and I've seen the emails, they send them to me too. Um, they get you like, once you're a pastor, they get an email chain or they buy the emails and they send us all kinds of things. Oh, I'm in need, I'm over here, can you send me money? Bottom line, guys, is we have to work as men. We're to toil in the soil all the day long by what? The sweat of our brows and provide for our families. If we don't provide for our families, we're worse than an unbeliever. And what that means is that the unbeliever, even though he doesn't honor or submit to the authority of God, he still provides for his wife. He doesn't even know God, but he's still providing for his wife and providing for his kids. How much more should the Christian provide for his family? Amen? So guys, what this means is someone is in need, like I said, give, doesn't mean we give to everyone. Here's uh, 2 Thessalonians, for those of you who take notes, 2 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 12. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the who? Again, the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. Um, there's a lot of things in the book of Timothy, too, when Paul was setting up the parameters of the church as even widows that come. There were certain criteria. There were many things they had to meet before the church helps them. It's called benevolence. When you go through pastors, I went through pastors in training, they teach you benevolence. What is benevolence and what is not? Amen? So it's not everyone. Okay, Acts 5, let's read verses 1 through 5. We're in Acts 5 now, verses 1 through 5, but had to set it up with that. So we know where the church is at. We know their community. We know they're helping one another, and there's no one who lacks anything, right? Because they love one another, and some have been given more. 1 through 5 of 5. But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? So here's where Peter's telling him, it was yours to give. We didn't ask for it. You had it. You voluntarily gave it. He didn't have to give it all. He could have came and said, I'm going to give this much and I'm going to keep this much. After it was sold, was it not your own, in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And obviously this is the early church. A lot of times as Christians, we're like, man, I want it to be like the early church. Maybe not so much in this aspect, right? <laughs> I'll pass on this part of the early church, right? Uh, I, I don't even know if I wrote it in my notes. I, one pastor in the commentary I was reading said, um, he said, imagine if this type of godly judgment was still going on in the church today. There might only be 10 people here, right? <laughs> I'd probably be one of them gone, okay, amen? So Ananias and Sapphira were probably inspired to sell their land and make this offering, seeing what? The generosity of Barnabas. Sometimes we're influenced. We see one person getting praise. We see one person getting glory. We see the people are got their attention. We go, I want some attention. Who doesn't want attention? I'll be the first to raise my hand. I like attention, Right? We all do, right? Who doesn't want to be liked? Don't we all want to be liked? That's a natural right, instinct as human beings. So they probably wanted to be liked. They saw that, right? But God sees the posture of the heart. Maybe, uh, maybe the, um, an Ananias and Sapphira were pretending to be something, guys, they were not. They were bringing this offering and then lying and saying, oh, yeah, no, no, this is all of it, everything I sold, but I'm going to keep some for myself. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve money and God. They wanted to, they wanted to part of the church and the holiness of God, but they also wanted, you could say, what's the saying? Their cake and eat it too. They also wanted a big piece of the world to hold on to it. Amen? This is when men fall into sin of pride, wanting, to, wanting an immediate reward and the praise of men, bringing glory to themselves rather than waiting on the reward from God. Amen. When I was telling you earlier about people who've come to me and say, hey, Doug, you know, I want to sponsor whatever, six kids or whatever it is. Uh, I, I want to buy the youth dinner or lunch on the way up to the retreat. We've had that done many times. And, and there's, one, there's one sister in the Lord who always tells me, I'm going to send it. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> Do 
do not tell, not, not even your wife. Don't tell anyone. This is between me, God, and you, right? And I love that heart. See, that's the heart where it's like, I don't want us to lose any praise. And I'll never forget the youth kids on the way up there one time. They said, hey, someone bought you all lunch. We lined them up, like all 24 of them, in and out. And they were on me. Who? Who was it? Who gave the money? Was it one of our parents? Who did it? I said, no, and I, and I gave me a chance to minister. I said, no, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. We don't receive praise from man. We wait for our reward from God. Amen? I exhort you guys. Uh, actually, let's read here Matthew 6, 1. Matthew 6, 1. You don't have to flip there, but if you want to take notes. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Guys, it's not about us. It's not our glory. Whose glory is it? Don't steal God's glory. Me too. Man, never steal God's glory. I exhort you guys to give biblically. Let's read in here, Matthew 6, 3. But when you do do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what the right hand is doing, that your charitable deed, charitable deed may be in secret. So do it in secret. And your father who sees it in secret will himself reward you openly. Okay, God will also reward you here on earth. I can't tell you, I don't know, maybe some of you have experienced this where, you know, just honoring God, being faithful, and then God just rewards me. Like someone will just give me money out of nowhere. I don't know, they heard I wasn't doing too, whatever it may be, right? God will reward me with a book on theology, whatever it may be, right? All of a sudden he's blessed or someone will come take, take me out to eat, you know, and, and oh, Doug, I got it, I'm gonna pay for it, Right? He rewards us back openly. Let's just wait on the Lord, amen, have patience. But they didn't have that patience. They wanted immediate gratification. They wanted immediate praise. And what they were doing is they were touching God's glory. All that glory of what was given would go to the people and would bring glory to God. But they're like, no, I want to give it in front of every man and I want people to know and I want to hold back some for myself and I want the glory. Don't touch God's glory. We always say, Pastor Dave, Chuck Smith used to say, right, as pastors, don't, don't touch the wine, don't touch the women, don't touch the money and what? Do not touch the glory of God in the church. Amen? God is very serious about his glory. And we know that by what happened to Ananias. Is he not serious about his glory? But they gave to the church, and what was wrong with that? Ananias said they were giving all the proceeds. Basically, guys, what was wrong with it is they lied. They inferred in verse 3 and 4, if you look at it, Peter confronts Ananias. It was his to give. It was in his control. The apostles did not demand it or ask him to give it, Ananias offered it all and held back some for himself. He robbed God, holding back the money, but it wasn't the money he robbed God. It was mostly his glory, okay? What he vowed to God, he did not deliver. You know, sometimes teaching on the pulpit, I'll have people, and God bless you guys, who come up to encourage me. And there's many of you who have encouraged me, and we do need encouragement. We're supposed to encourage one another, right? I mean, if you look at Barnabas, his name was what? The son of encouragement, right? And he would encourage many of those early Christians in Antioch who were preaching the gospel and being persecuted and uh, being put to death. He would encourage them. And I always say to people, I say, thank you for your encouragement, because I want to acknowledge that, and all glory to God. So if you're ever wondering what to say, thank you for your encouragement, all glory to my Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Pretty simple. What he vowed to God, he did not deliver. Ananias didn't deliver. We read this in Ecclesiastes, those of you who take notes, Ecclesiastes 5, 4 through 5. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed to God. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay God. And then, so, and then in Matthew 5, 37 but let your yes be yes and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. His yes wasn't yes. He said, I gave it all. No, that's all of it. You sure? He said he was going to give it all, and he didn't, right? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. You make a vow to God, you better follow through, amen? So my kids know this too. I've always raised them. I always tell them, let your yes be yes, you can ask him, Dakota and Elite, your no be no, always. And I don't let them compromise on that. So when they were younger, they would tell a friend, hey, I'm going to go to your birthday party, right? But you guys have all been through this. But then another friend they're closer to or they like more is going to have a bigger party and going to have the clown and all that. Oh, dad, we want to go there. So we're just not going to go to the other one. No, you're going to the first one. And they were bummed. They're like, but that one has a pool and it's a pool party. No, you're going to the first one. I go, how would you feel if someone did that to you, that their yes was not yes and their no was not no? That they were counting on you being there, that it brought them joy that you were going to come. And now you said, you know what? I'm just going to waver back and forth and not be a person of my word. God wants a person of their word, amen? 
So we say, so guys, I wouldn't make a vow. I don't make vows to God. I don't. You want to know why? Because I have the flesh living inside of me. And there's a good chance I might fall, right? So, and if I say to you guys, yes, I'm going to do this, I do my best. I, I'm going to do it because I know the verses. My yes is yes, my no is no. And I'll actually take time. Like if someone asks me to do something, and sometimes I get hasty and I say yes. I go, oh man, what did I do? Now I got to go do that. But at the same time, sometimes I'll pray. Let me pray about it. Let me see. Let me look at my schedule. So guys, do that. Don't say yes to someone if you're not going to follow through, amen? Because you know what that makes you when you say yes and then you don't do it? What does that make you? You're not a trustable person. I can't trust you when you tell me you're going to do something. It's like a person maybe serving in ministry. You know, me and my wife lead ministries. They say, oh, yeah, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be. And then they don't come, right? What's going to happen going forward in ministry? Amen. So Ananias lied to God. In verse 3, Peter says, Satan filled your heart, Ananias, to lie to the Holy Spirit. Ananias' sin found him out. It was revealed to Peter through what? The Holy Spirit. God sees all things, guys. Your sin will find you out. Sooner or later, it will be brought to light, right? It may take some time, right? I don't know about you, but I've had things I've done and no one knew about for a long time. And then they found out. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's crazy that all these years later. But if you fail to keep your word, then you will have sinned against God. This is from Numbers. Sinned against the Lord, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. That's what it says in Numbers. God, so that's what he did. He sinned against God, and what happened? His sin found him out. The Holy Spirit spoke to Peter, amen? God sees all, the, God sees all things. Might sound like scare tactics, right? That God sees all things. He'll find out your sin, and then God's going to bring it to light, right? He'll bring the darkness into the light. And that may sound like a bad thing. Like, what kind of a God does that? I don't, I don't want to serve a God like that. He's constantly looking over me and just constantly going to you know, discipline me or bring judgment upon me. But isn't it funny how we don't like it when it's against us, but what if someone did wrong to us and someone did wrong to one of our family members? Then what do we want? Oh, you know what? He's not paying here on earth. I want God to bring judgment on them, right? So you can't have it both ways. God is just and God is a just judge. So guys, it's a good thing that God's going to pay back the things that are done wrong to us, the things that are done wrong to little children, the things that are done wrong to women, the things that are done wrong. One day, God will bring righteous judgment upon everything. That's a, that's a sobering fact, of, for me, of comfort. Amen? If you ask any of the Jewish people who suffered in the concentration camp and watched their, their relatives die, if, for me, it would be comforting that one day they will pay for what they did, right? They may have got away with murder on earth, but they won't get away with murder in heaven. Amen? So Ananias' name means God is gracious. He is a gracious God, guys, right? So that's actually his name, God is gracious. Now, God is a gracious God, but he's also what? He's a holy God. That's why he has to bring judgment. God is gracious, but also holy. Ananias had a deceitful heart towards God, and God took him out, right? Here's the contrast, though. Look at the contrast. Barnabas was faithful, honest, and gave it all to God. And what happened with him? He lived a long, fruitful life in ministry with Paul the Apostle. Ananias lied, and what happened to him? He died, right? Proverbs 12.22 says this, for those of you who take notes, Proverbs 12.22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight, his pleasure, amen? Be his pleasure, church, amen? Worth noting, this was not a question of Ananias' salvation. I don't know what Ananias' relationship was with God. I can't judge him. I can't discern, not judge, but discern his righteousness based upon maybe one really low moment in his life. I don't know. That's between him and God. Just wanted to make that note. Was not church judgment, though. This was not church judgment, okay, or church discipline. This, rather, is an example of God's personal judgment against a man. The Lord, it says in the Bible, shall judge his people, right? This is personal judgment against one man. Because like I said, if it's a judgment against the church, then half of us wouldn't be here, right? We'd still be getting smoked, right, for doing things like that, taken out. At the first sign of sin in the church, God set a precedence with Ananias. Sin would not be overlooked, but, but would be dealt with harshly. And in the Old Testament, in the early church, and also with the, the, the um, Judaism and the Jews, he would deal with them very harshly, right? We see where God just takes men out for taking his glory. We see where the guy who went and collected manna on, on the Sabbath and shouldn't have been out there, he takes him out, right? We see all these things, and then we see Ananias here. He dealt with the early church very harshly, setting a precedence of holiness, amen? 
If God killed religious, de- oh, I already said that. If he killed religious deceivers today, you know, how many of us would be here? Let's read uh, 6 through 11, moving on. And the young men arose and wrapped him up. So they're wrapping Ananias up, carried him out and buried him. Imagine that, if that happened here. Me and Dave and Josh just pick one of you up and just go bury you on the hill over here at Hillcrest School. That's not good. One of the kids on Monday, hey, I found something over here, right? Not good. But guys, that's not, but that's what happened to Ananias here. They carried him out and just buried him. Now it was about three hours later in verse seven, it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what happened. And Peter answered her. Now this is amazing. Peter, Ananias was just like, hey, you lied and this is what you did and dead. Peter's now giving her a chance to come clean. She has the chance to do what's right, amen? It says, now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, verse eight. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for that much, like my husband said. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door. Probably going, look at the feet of the men. Probably had dirt on their feet, right, on their shoes. Maybe even standing there with a shovel. I, I don't know. Look, but you still are choosing to lie? And he says, and they will carry you out too. And then verse 10, then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. And carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Her husband, guys, here's the deal. I don't know her relationship with her husband. We don't. The Bible doesn't tell us that. Was it a good relationship? Was it one where she always submitted to to authority? Was he a righteous man? Well, it doesn't seem like he's doing a righteous thing here. It doesn't seem like he's leading his wife in righteousness. Amen? Husbands, lead your wives in righteousness. Be the example in your home. You want to know why you should be the example? Because God has given you headship over the wife. Right? So I don't know her relationship with that. I don't know if maybe he said, hey, you know what? Here's what we'll do. We got all this money, but do we have to give it all to God? But let's just say we give it all to God, but then we'll still keep some back for ourselves, right? And then we can use it for, I don't know, something over here, right? Maybe she agreed to it. Maybe her heart was too. Maybe she told him, no, 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 let's not do that. And he said, well, you need to submit to me, right? I've been given the authority and I'm gonna make this decision. But she went along with it. You remember when God came looking for Adam, when Eve said to Adam, here's the, you know, here's the fruit bite of it, right? Did he have to, right? And then when God comes looking for Adam, what does he say? He tries to blame the wife. Well, she gave me the fruit, Lord. It was her. And he said, Adam, why have you done, why have you done the opposite of what I've commanded you to? Why have you been disobedient? He dealt with the husband because the husband was over the wife. So men, there's accountability, Right? Lead your wives in righteousness. Me, I need to lead my wife in righteousness. Amen? Wives, it says in Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So if we're asking, if God is saying, hey, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, right? The wife submits to the Lord. A woman submits to the Lord. What? In righteousness, the thing Jesus commands her to do, the things Jesus set the example for. But if you have a husband who's not setting the example of righteousness, why would a wife ever follow? I would say don't. Don't ever do anything your husband asks you to do that's in opposition to the word of God. That's the one time in this verse where you do not have to submit to the authority. You submit to the authority of God. Amen? Ladies, if your husband is acting contrary to to our Lord, his word, and asking you to do something Christ would not ask you to do, don't do it. Amen? He did something Christ would have never asked. Hey, let's lie to my father. Right? Christ is a perfect man. Satan tried to attack the church from the outside, right? With the persecution of the Sanhedrin on the apostles in the early church, right? First trying to put them in jail, trying to get the crowd on their side, then trying to kill the apostles, trying to stop them in preaching in the name of Jesus. So it was coming from the outside. 
And it didn't work, and the church continued to grow. Satan's trying to destroy it from the inside now, raising up hypocrites within the church. The word hypocrite comes from the Greek word, which means an actor. And it means that they wear a mask and they pretend to be something they're not. And that's what was happening with Ananias and Sapphira. They wanted the perception to be something they were not. And let me say this, you know, the church is still growing, guys. You realize? I think sometimes we focus on, oh, man, the church is dying. The church is not growing anymore. Remember the saints that have gone before us in the cloud of witnesses, right? More and more people are still being saved, which means the kingdom of God at the end of this age will be when it stops growing, when Jesus comes back, right? And when Jesus throws Satan into the pit of hell, that's when it'll stop growing. But other than that, there's even people during the great tribulation coming to Christ, right? So guys, the church is still growing. That should give you hope. It's still growing, amen? Look how many people we have here, amen? Is it not growing? Hold on to that hope. It's growing. Guys, do the work of God, God's kingdom. But God gave her a chance to come clean, and she did not. She committed the same sin as her husband. So what did she receive? The same judgment as her husband. She did the same sin. She received the same judgment. The church, guys, will be okay when Satan tries to attack it from the outside. But when Satan gets to the inside of the church, he starts infiltrating the people of God. That's when the church is in danger. Amen? And that's why we're to be watchmen, especially your pastors are supposed to oversee the flock. Make sure that someone's not within the sheep, right? One of the sheep, a wolf, trying to pick us off, right? Trying to bring division inside the leadership, trying to bring division inside the church, right? That's when the church is in danger. So guys, we always got to be aware of that and look around us and keep the church healthy, being watchmen over what God has given us, good stewards with what God has given us. So then verses 12 through 16 the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Maybe there were some people not joining them because they'd say, oh man, you go over there and follow them. If your sin finds you out, you get smoked. I don't really know if I want to join that church, right? Yet more and more people, but then it goes right on to say, but yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women, verse 15. And as a result, as a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. And what does it say? All healed. Amen? Amen? Coming out of verse 11, it says, So great fear fell upon the church and all who heard. A natural response, guys, would have been, Get as far away from the apostles, lest my sin find me out. Or another response would be what? Take my relationship with God more seriously and with reverence, right? So you had one or the other, and you had a lot of people who were like, Oh, I don't want to be a part of that. I think what it did is it probably eliminated the posers who didn't want to be serious about the relationship with God. Right, guys? Um, guys, be serious about your relationship with God. Give him reverence, amen? amen? He saved you. Guys, we're gonna live for eternity, amen? We're come back with Christ and rule, amen? In the millennial kingdom. Guys, be serious about the Lord, amen? Me too. This is for me too, amen? Many now took the relationship with God seriously. Many signs and wonders were performed. All the believers met at the temple. I love that. They just all kept meeting. What? Corporately. Many, um, the signs and wonders, guys, were used by God. Remember, the signs and wonders, like I mentioned earlier at this time, were used to authenticate the apostles' ministry, that it was the power of Jesus Christ being continued. We see special judgments in the new church, like with what happened with Ananias. Like I said, that's not happening today. But he was judged very severely, right? But then we also see uh, in this new church era special miracles specifically for the apostles to perform. The, apostle, the apostles actually, remember too, I read this at the beginning, prayed for these exact miracles. I'll take you back to Acts 29 through 30. We started at verse 32, but I think I read this. This is the New Living Translation, just because I like it. It doesn't mean you have to read it. Um, it says, and now, O Lord, this is the apostles, hear our threats. Remember when we talked about the three things they prayed for? It says, hear our threats that are coming against me and give us, your servants, great what? Boldness in preaching the word. Remember reading that? Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done. What? May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They pointed towards Jesus Christ, not themselves. 
I believe, guys, we can pray for the same thing today. We are not apostles like the actual apostles. Apostles can mean the sent out one, a messenger. Basically, apostle means in its simplest form. You guys can say this. Look, I'm an apostle, meaning not an apostle of the apostolic early church, the church era. But if it just means the sent out one, the messenger, it means you have a messenger from someone who sent you, right? Jesus Christ was an apostle because he had a message from who? His father. And he came to deliver that message, amen? So yeah, we're sent out. We're supposed to give the message of the gospel, but it was different for these guys because one of the qualifications for being an apostle was of the 12 was that they had to have seen Christ risen from the dead. They had to have been there walking in and out, eating with Jesus, praying with Jesus, hearing his word preached at the baptism when John the Baptist baptized him. These were qualifications for being a I don't know about you, but that disqualifies me. I wasn't there when Jesus was raised. Were any of you guys? Uh, yeah, I hope not. I mean, that's weird. Okay. <laughs> like, whoa, what's going on here? But guys, that disqualifies me. I believe that signs and wonders are spirit and spiritual gifts when performed biblically are, important, are an important display of the Holy Spirit at work. But I also believe that everyday obedience to God's word, the practicing of the fruits of the Spirit become a greater display when we are doing them amongst believers. Amen. Amen. How many people we see, they see a miracle and they're like, oh, I'm going to fall across. Oh, it's amazing. Let me go over here and see what's going on. But then when there's no more miracles, what happens? There's no more miracles happening. I thought they walk away, right? But guys, fruits of the Spirit don't go away. They can be displayed over and over and over again. We display them to one another. It's a greater testament to God's power when we live in obedience and practice the fruits of the spirits amongst one another. You'll see more people come to the Lord that way when you are being like Christ. Amen? <clears throat> Regarding authenticating miracles, Warren Wiersbe, who's a great commentator, said this, and I love this. Regarding authenticating miracles, which was what was happening we now have the completed word of God and we test teachers by their message, not by their miracles. Amen? Test me and Dave and Josh by what we teach. Not miracles, right? Verse 13, he said, no one else dared to join them. Even all the people had high regard for them. There's multiple interpretations of this. I really couldn't nail one down. It's just one of those verses where I just don't know. We'll find out when we get to heaven, right? What God reveals to man is man's, and what God keeps to himself is his. There's rich men like Ananias. Ananias, we can take, was most likely rich, heard about Ananias and didn't want to join them. So maybe it's the other rich men just didn't want to join them. They're like, hey, no way am I doing that. That guy got smoked, and I want my money. Um, there were the Sanhedrin. They wanted to join the Christians maybe because they saw this power moving in the name of Jesus Christ and that the prophets, the law, and everything was pointing towards Jesus, but they just couldn't do it. Kind of like Nicodemus, they just couldn't do it. Maybe it was them. We don't really know the full meaning of the verse, so I'll leave it at that. More unbelievers, though, gave their life to Christ. The church grew. It says there in verse 15, so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Judging by the next verse, um, I think their hope was that they would be healed by Peter walking by in the shadow. But notice the verse, and this is where you have to look at the Bible, very focused and look at it very detailed, exactly what it's saying. It doesn't say anyone was healed by the shadow. I just want to point that out. It doesn't say anyone was healed by the shadow. But I think it's inferring from the next verse that that's what their hope was, amen? Maybe it happened, maybe it didn't, I don't know. And then it says all were healed. Nobody was sent away because he or she didn't have faith. It doesn't mention faith at all. It just says all were healed who came. And they were literally bringing the crippled and the sick and the demon-possessed. They had couches and chairs all out on the street, and they were just putting them all on there. And people were coming from everywhere, from Jerusalem, and saying, oh, we got to see the apostles, this healing power. we got to see what this Jesus the Christ, after he's already gone, what's going on in his name. So imagine that spectacle. Let's read uh, 17 through 20. I think we'll wrap up there. The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. <laughs> then he told them, right, guys, the irony, go to the temple and give the people the message of life. 
Amen? These guys have been through so much, but we know their story, right? You talk about persecuted, man, and then just go right back out what put you in jail, right back out what might kill you, and preach the message of life, right? Because um, man can take the physical, but God can take the physical and the spirit. Amen? So let's serve God, and that's the one we should have reverence for. So then they told them, you remember they had told them, these um, Pharisees and Sadducees, don't do anything in the name of Jesus anymore. Nothing in the name of Jesus. We're tired of hearing it. But because they did everything in the name of Jesus, Jesus got all the glory. People came from everywhere to see the power of Christ and the apostles. The English martyr, Hugh Latimer, said this, whenever you see persecution, there is more than a probability that the truth is on the persecuted side, right? Because sometimes people have their emotions, their belief, their ideology, but then when they're confronted with truth, they persecute it because they don't want to change, amen? So the truth was on their side because Jesus is the way, what? and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. So it was expected that they were being persecuted and will continue to be persecuted for his namesake, Jesus Christ. Matthew 5.10, for those of you who take notes, Matthew 5.10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil things against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, this was Jesus, and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen? Dave actually quotes that a lot. The Sanhedrin was jealous of the works of the apostle. All these people in the middle of the streets, there's couches, people are coming from afar. They were no longer getting any attention. And they're going, hey, this is in opposition to our rule and our leadership. And they're also jealous saying, I want that power. Why do they have this power? How come we have no power? We serve the true living God. They're serving a fake and they have power. They were jealous of the works of the apostles. Do we ever see the Pharisees or the Sadducees at all have healing power? Do we ever see them perform a miracle in the Bible? No. So imagine how they felt when they're going, why did they have this power? Well, why did they have the power? Because Jesus was the Messiah. Authenticating miracles he gave to the apostles to show the Jews that, hey, I am who I said I am. I am. Me, the Father, the Holy Spirit are one. Earlier, if you remember in the chapter, Peter says, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Before you didn't lie to men, you lied to the Holy Spirit, which means you lied to God, the Trinity, Holy Spirit, the Father, and then the Son. Amen? It was showing them the Son was real. He was who he said he was, and they had put him to death. Amen? I actually finished early. Um, Got six more minutes. I don't know if you guys know this, I hold the record for the longest sermon here. <laughs> Dave never lets me live it down, and I thought, <clears throat> today, guys, I, I, I didn't have a lot of pages, and I thought, well, now I'll hold the record for the shortest sermon as well, amen? <laughs> Pastor Dave always said, he goes, you know, when I have someone go up to the pulpit for the first time, and I set that record the first time I was up here, and he goes, he goes Doug, I understand, brother, there's grace, he goes, because you don't know if you're ever going to be up there again, so... <laughs> So you tried to put the whole Bible into one sermon. I get it, right? Amen. But I did finish uh, early today. So I titled this message, guys, To God the Glory in Jesus' Name. Amen. Always remember that. Today, when you go out, to God the Glory in Jesus' Name. Proclaim His name. When you pray over your food in a restaurant, say it loudly, in Jesus' Name. Amen. When someone asks you about your faith, to give a defense for the hope that is in you, like Peter said, apologia, right? We must be going to say it's because of Jesus Christ. If you don't know what to say to people when you're trying to witness to them or trying to evangelize to them, tell them your testimony and what Jesus Christ has done in your life, where you were and where you are now. Amen. Let the Holy Spirit do the rest. So guys, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Amen. Father in heaven, I come before you, Lord. I just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, Lord, to herald your word from this pulpit. There's reverence, Lord, for you always. Father in heaven, as the early church, Father, learn to have reverence for you, Father. May we have that. May we learn, Father, from the early church. May we learn how we're to come before your table. May we learn how we're to come before your feet. Father in heaven, may we come with the heart of praise and worship, Lord. As these men proclaimed Jesus, they proclaimed him because of the mighty work you had done in their lives. They had seen the mighty miracles. They had heard the mighty words and how it brought life and not destruction and death which the law brought, Lord, upon them, that they were free men now in Jesus Christ. And I pray that, Father, if there's anyone here today who wants to be a free man, who wants to believe in Jesus Christ and believe in their heart that he is the Lord and he, says who he, sa- he is who he says he is and that the Father raised him from the dead, it says in Romans 10, 9, you confess that with your lips, you will be saved. If there's anyone here 
who looks at this and says, these men had such great conviction. Why would they have such great conviction being willing to die for this man that the people he came to save said he wasn't? So if you say, hey, you know what? I'm starting to believe in this man. I want you to make a profession of faith today. Is there anyone out there who wants to give their life to the Lord? Just raise your hand and you'll say a prayer with me. Is there anyone out there who's just been running? Anyone out there who hasn't known Jesus Christ? Is there any of you who wants to give their life to the Lord today? Amen, brother, I see you. God sees you, that's more important. He's the God who sees. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, I come before you, Lord, like these men. I want to change life. I want a conviction, Lord, of my sin, and then I want to be used mightily. I believe in my heart. Say this with me. I believe in my heart and confess with my lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe the Father raised him from the dead on the third day, and I want to be saved, Lord. And I want you to do a mighty work in me. I want to learn your word. I want to be a, a Berean and study your word and divide it rightly. I want the Holy Spirit, Lord, to change me from the inside. I want it to battle my flesh. You'll take me as I come, but you won't leave me how you found me. Father in heaven, work mightily in my life and use me for your kingdom. I want to be with you for eternity. If you prayed those words today, it says you shall be saved. And the angels are rejoicing in heaven. And we want to send you a Bible if there's anyone out on live stream who said that prayer and gave their life to the Lord. Call the number that's on the website. It's free. We're going to send you a really nice Bible and we want you to come to church. And if you're far from us, we'll do the work to find you a, a good Bible teaching church to start your complete transformation of body, soul, and mind to follow Jesus Christ. So that being said, we pray this in Lord Jesus Christ's name and all God's people said.